So tonight, we are looking at Mark chapter 12, and um, before, before I read this, I want us to kind of pause, because what's happening in this text is we're coming to this, I'll, t- I'll tell you all about it, but we're coming to the end of kind of a pretty intense day or two that Jesus has had with his disciples, and this is like the final moment before they leave the temple. And um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus, what we see here, he's actually a people watcher. You know, do you like to do people watching? Like if you're sitting out in front of a coffee shop or maybe you're, um, you know, it's in the mall or whatever it is. Or I don't know if you've ever seen this video of this guy who dresses up like a tree and he stands kind of next to shrubs and people walk by and he jumps out and they record it and they're terrified. And, you know, like Jesus is a people watcher and there's something really, really special about who he notices in this moment and what he notices about her and what he wants his disciples who have been with him for three years to catch that this woman has. And so the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She gave out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what we're going to do is I'm, we're going to kind of look at Mark 10, 11, and these few verses in 12 um, to kind of lead up to where we are and then talk about what Jesus sees when he sees this widow. And it's really profound and it's really, really beautiful. So remember where we are. Jesus is in the temple. For quite some time he's been there and he's been talking with the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they've been going back and forth on all sorts of things. The temple in this moment, as they're preparing for Passover, is really busy. And so if you can just imagine a really crowded area and lots of people rubbing shoulders and having conversations, people are back at the temple who maybe haven't seen one another for a year or longer, and they're catching up, and there's tons and tons and tons of people around. And um, Jesus has been, you know, if you, if you follow the text from Mark 10 forward, in Mark 10, Jesus predicts his death a third time. He tells the disciples, look, I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be condemned. I'm going to be misunderstood. I'm going to be handed over. Um, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. I'm going to rise from the dead. He goes, I want you to know this. And then a couple seconds later, James and John say, hey, Jesus, you're talking about rising again, and that sounds awesome. And when you come into your kingdom, can Brother James sit on your left and Brother John sit on your right? Like, we'd love to be right there in the middle of it. We want to be there with you, it says. Um, we want to be with you in your glory. So they've just heard Jesus talk about his death and that he's going to rise again. And they're like, ooh, can we be there with you in your glory? And Jesus says, I know you want to be great, but if, first of all, you can't do what I need to do. I have to be condemned in a way you can't be condemned. I have to do things you're not capable of. You're going to follow me, but let me tell you what greatness looks like in my kingdom. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 43. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
So Jesus tells this to James and John and the other disciples, and the other disciples are irritated because James and John have kind of tried to posture for power, leaving them out, and then they just kind of embarrass themselves because Jesus is like, look, if you want to be great, I need you to think about who I am and what I've done. I've come to serve. We just read about Christ's humiliation from the Westminster Confession of Faith. I came to serve, and I want you to follow me in that service. And then, not long after, Jesus is leaving with his disciples. They're heading towards the temple. And a blind man comes to Jesus named Bartimaeus. And Jesus asks him the exact same question he asks James and John. What can I do for you? What what can I do for you? James and John ask for power. Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. In that moment, Jesus is saying, I know that you actually believe I'm the Son of God and that I have this power. And you know what? Your faith has healed you. I want you to go. And what does he do? He follows Jesus towards the temple. Mark chapter 11. Jesus is received as a king, right? Palm Sunday. Um, He comes in on a donkey, a humble king, and he enters into this place where people are waiting for him. And he's there very shortly. And what happens? Jesus' authority is immediately questioned. That he comes in. He goes in the temple, and, and the, the teachers of the law and the chief priests and the Pharisees are saying to him in chapter 11, verse 28, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you authority to do this? You're healing people. How are you doing that? Are you doing that with the power of the devil? Is that how you're healing people? You're telling the waves to stop, and they stop, and the winds to stop, and they stop. And we've heard these rumors about you taking a basket of fish and a basket of bread and feeding thousands of people. How are you doing this? Then, in the midst of the temple experience, Jesus is critiquing their leadership. And he's saying, actually, you're, you're part of the problem. And they're like, wait a minute. So they go back and forth and have these conversations. They ask Jesus about taxes. They ask him about hypothetical situations like marriage after the resurrection. They ask him about the greatest commandment. And then Jesus asks them a question. He says this, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the Son of God? After all, David himself calls him Lord. How can he be his son? Now, just to set the picture for you, Jesus is there with his disciples. They're in this temple area. The the teachers of the law and the chief priests and the elders are all there. And then there's lots of people around. And they're all watching this public discourse, this public debate. So Jesus says, okay, I have a question for you. Why do you say the Messiah is the son of David if David calls him Lord? Like, how can he be, how can he be both his, like, God and his son? Like, how can that happen? And we hear the people's response in Mark chapter 11, verse 37. The large crowd listened to him with delight. Jesus is stumping them. He's turning upside down their understanding of who God is. In Mark chapter 11, verse 38, Jesus gives the teachers of the law kind of a real zinger. And he digs into them and says, you know what? You're not just opposed to what I'm doing. You are the reason I'm coming because you are misleading people. And you're you're leading them down a path that's exactly opposite of who I am. He says to them, you know, you're seeking power and prestige. You're seeking honor and glory. And that is not who I've called you to be. Now, I'm hoping James and John are sitting there going, that's just what we did. Like, we just had this conversation. We're kind of getting the point, right? Then back to Mark, Mark chapter 12, verse 38, just before. So this is verse 38 in the text, the two, two verses just before what we read. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes 
greeted with respect in the marketplaces. They're in, a, they're in a, the temple. They're in one of the marketplaces in some ways, which Jesus wasn't happy about. And have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for show and they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And so Jesus is calling them out saying, these guys are walking around. They have been given to you by the Father to guide your steps, to preach, to teach, to answer questions about living faithfully in this cultural context they're in. Um, it's not that dissimilar from the role that Kyle and I are supposed to play as your pastors. It's why when we hear this and we hear Jesus talking about this severe judgment, um, it's why we take so seriously our role as your pastors. It's why we teach the scriptures. We want to stay close to Jesus. We, want, we only want to have him glorified in this process. Well, Jesus is calling them out on this. And they don't like the way, it, the way it's sounding and the way it's going. And so what they do is they, plot to, they continue to plot to destroy him. Then, verse 41, we come into our text. So again, it's a busy area. There's lots of people around. They've had this long day, the disciples with Jesus. Verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury. Jesus is people watching. His disciples, they probably pulled to the side. Jesus actually sits down. They're all there together, and they're probably like, oh, finally, he's not confronting anybody. We're not having arguments with anyone. Like, he's finally tired, and he sits down. But shortly, they realize he's not just sitting down. He's staring at something, and he's watching this poor widow approach the treasury. Now, one commentator said this, According to the Mishnah, each of the chests, these are the chests that would have been right there by the exit of the temple, each of the chests bore inscriptions designating what the offerings were for. New shekel dues, old shekel dues, bird offerings, young birds for the whole offering, wood, frankincense, gold for the mercy seat, and on um, six of them the label free will offerings. Because the Passover in the treasury was a most busy place as both the local inhabitants and pilgrims crowded past the 13 chests and inserted their offerings into the narrow brass mouths made shiny by the constant friction of the worshippers' hands. So there's a lot of people walking by these chests as they leave the temple. The disciples are like, we're finally done. We're heading towards the exit. Jesus sits. He looks at this poor uh, widow who's approaching and he's staring at her. A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, I wish I had this for you. I actually had one at home. I've been forgetful lately. I left it at home. But I actually have one of these coins that she would have thrown in to a, uh, one of the trumpets. I'll bring it next week if you care to look at it. But it's called a pruta, and it's the widow's mite. And the equivalent amount of value today, prior to inflation, I guess, would be like one-eighth of a cent is what they were worth. Today, you can go buy yourself one for about 20 bucks. 2,000 years later, this coin, and the one that I have was supposedly minted between 70 BC and 35 AD. It's worth like 25 bucks. She throws in these two coins, and the maker of heaven and earth stops everything he's doing, and he's beholding her, and he's watching her. It's, it's, it's drawing his heart in. He's moved emotionally. He's staring at her. What's going on? Well, a, a couple things I want to point out about the widow. She's poor. It's a poor widow. We see that. It's almost like a diamond in the rough situation because on the outside, she looks kind of unexciting. 
She's a widow. She's putting in her money. She doesn't have very much. She's alone. She's without her husband. Clearly, you're able to see kind of who she is by the way she's dressed. There's no one caring for her. This was part of the problem women faced when their husbands died um, back in this time is they didn't have someone to continue to financially provide for them and care for them if they didn't have a family. This poor widow approaches this place of offering and she puts in her two mites. And there would have been other people putting in lots of money, large amounts of money. And it's interesting because she puts in everything she has. Now, I want to point this out. Nowhere in the scriptures are you commanded to give every penny from your bank account to the church. That is not taught. Now, some churches teach that, and they're 100% wrong. This is an exceedingly uh, uh, radical kind of generosity that this woman is, is giving in this moment. She's giving everything she has to the treasury, and Jesus stops to watch. What is going on there? Well, part of it is that it's all she had. Jesus says, you know, these people gave out of their wealth, which is beautiful. She gives out of her poverty everything that she has. And, you know, as members of the church, yes, we do give to the church. Um, I have friends who are able to give 40 and 50% of their income in other churches I've been in before. They still live incredibly comfortable lives, and their gifts are very generous, and that's awesome. Most of us can't do that. Most of us can give what we're able to give, and God celebrates that. But this is different. She is giving everything she has, and it moves Jesus to stop and to behold her. Everyone else was probably overlooking her. No one probably noticed her. She's having to push past very, you know, people are putting in lots of things and, and people who have people helping them put in things. People are applauding, okay? This, this happened when large amounts of money were put in. People would applaud. This woman is being applauded by Jesus. He's stopping and watching her. So she's poor. The disciples don't notice her. So what does Jesus do? Hey, come here. Y'all need to see this. This is really special. So she's poor. But she's also beautiful, There's something about her that is beautiful to the maker of heaven and earth, the one who holds all things together, the one who sustains all things, the one who, you know, the book of James tells us every good gift is from above. That one is moved by her giving in this moment, and he invites his disciples to stop and to watch. Jesus sees a woman giving out of her poverty, giving all she has, and he says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. She's put in more into the treasury than all the others. What do we get from that? Well, it isn't that Jesus is really bad at math. That is not the point. The point is is that what she's doing is representative of how much she loves God in that moment. And Jesus says, look, she's giving more than anyone else has given, or if you added it all together in the treasury, this is a profound kind of giving, and it's beautiful to me. Jesus is intrigued with her, Because she embodies the very purpose that the temple exists. Why is the temple there? Why is Jesus there? God, first and foremost, wants us to understand that He beholds us. He wants to have a relationship with us. The temple was about having access in a very real way to who God is. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus comes to dwell among us. He puts all of his glory aside. He goes through incredible suffering so that you and I could have a very intimate relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is seeing in this woman one who understands that God the Father knows her 
and loves her and cares about her when no one else knows her or loves her or cares about her or notices her and she gives all she has as a response of that. It's really, really beautiful. And Jesus wants his disciples to catch the vision. Do you believe the Father loves you so much that he notices you, that he beholds you, that you are not an obscure part of humanity? He knows every hair on your head. I don't even know how many hairs are on my head. The number decreases regularly. But, but you know, he knows everything. She's poor. She's beautiful. But there's also something else about her. See the love of the widow. What this woman understands is that she is a daughter of God. That God wants her to know how much he loves her. That he's given her, she is living a moment where, where you're seeing that she understands God's given her everything. She doesn't give that because she's trying to earn a thing. It wouldn't really buy her much, monetarily speaking. But spiritually, it is beautiful to Jesus because he's seeing a woman love his father like he does. She's loving him with her whole heart, her mind, her soul, her strength, all of who she is. And he goes, y'all need to see this. I want you to love the Father like this. I want you to experience the kind of grace that transforms your understanding, even of what you have physically, that even that's a gift and it can be used for something beautiful. He sees her in that moment. If you've never read the book by Henry Nouwen called The Life of the Beloved, it'd be a great book for you to read this summer, okay? It's short. Okay, so if you don't like to read long books, it's, it's particularly exciting. But let me read to you um, just one little paragraph from this book. Now one writes this, Long before any human being saw us, we are seen by God's loving eyes. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, we are heard by our God who is all ears for us. Long before any person spoke to us in this world, we are spoken to by the voice of eternal love. Our preciousness uniqueness and individuality are not given to us by those who meet us in clock time, our brief chronological existence, but by the one who has chosen us with an everlasting love, a love that existed from all eternity and will last through all eternity. This is the one who sees the poor, beautiful, loving widow. The one who knew her before she was born, fashioned her in her mother's womb, sustained her through her life, mourned with her when her husband died, and is with her now, and she's giving to him. And Jesus loves her. He beholds her. She is his beloved. You know, our building, Kyle mentioned it earlier, I'm so excited for us to get back in there. It is just a building. Like, here we are. You know, we're able to worship together. But for those of us who have memories at Grace... Um, to be back in there is going to be particularly sweet for us to worship in what God has given us as a church. And um, one of the things that I miss um, uh, that got destroyed in the flood was some of my artwork. You know, in all the years I've been a pastor, children have given me little pieces of art, like little things that they've, you know, drawn for me or painted for me or, um, you know, made little things for me. Those usually don't last, but like, like little bracelets and stuff. But my most, the most recent additions to my art collection have been from the Bovis kids. And I have like a little finger painting from Sawyer and Ella and Jude drew me things. And I was able to save a couple of them, but I lost some of them. I know that no one cares about that but me. I'm excited about those. When I see them, I see their love for me. 
When Jesus sees this woman give what she has, he sees her love for the Father and the Father's love for her in that moment. That's what happens to us as we begin to experience God's grace for us and his love for us, that he notices us, that he beholds us. It moves us to kind of imitate who God is. Do you know who God is? He's the giver of all things. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of all good gifts. He's the one who gives us one another. He gives us all things. And when you begin to experience God's grace and you begin to live in light of that grace, you become a giver yourself. You become one who gives out of the kind of love you have received. This woman understands that she is the beloved. Now the disciples are probably watching her and they're thinking, hmm, she dropped in two pieces of copper. You know, they're so light. I wish I had it here. I meant to bring it. They're so light that you probably could barely hear, hear them clang against the trumpets into the chests. No one noticed. They wouldn't have purchased one of the tassels on the fancy uh, uh, clothes that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the elders would have had on. It, it, do, it doesn't add up monetarily. And yet Jesus considers it the most precious treasure given that day. It's special. So a couple ideas to think about. Number one, loving and giving are fused. Loving and giving are fused. They're, they're tied together. If you're a little weirded out by me talking about the fact that we give to the church, like we give money to the church or whatever, I want you to keep your money and don't worry about giving money right now. Just keep it, okay? God has a cattle on a thousand hills. He can provide for his church. It's okay. But there, this is true. It's what Jesus is showing us here, that loving and giving are fused. If you know how much you're loved and how much God's giving you, you're not going to be able to help but imitate him and love others and give to others. They're, they're tightly knit together. You know, just kind of one little example of this that I've seen recently is Jamie pointed out we had a bird's nest growing um, just outside our door on the right. And I thought, well, I'm going to clean that thing out of here, right? There's eggs in there. Let's get rid of it. You know, they make a mess anyway. No, no, no. Leave the bird nest. All right, fine. So today, I'm walking out of my house, and I hear all these chirps. And I look in there, and there's all these mouths open waiting to be fed, you know, to be cared for. And all I could think about was, where is the mother? Like, she is out getting food to bring back to her babies. Because that's what her mother did for her. Her mother gave her life and gave her food. Now she's giving life and giving food. And now they're growing and they're probably going to make a mess all over my porch. But, you know, they're alive. If you experience God's love, it's going to change your soul in a deep way. Jesus is showing us here. That's the reason the temple's here. It's the reason that he came is you are meant to experience an actual, real, experiential relationship with the maker of heaven and earth. That's why the scriptures are written. You don't have to wonder how Jesus, who Jesus would notice. It's right here. Jesus noticed those who were not noticed. Jesus cared for those who were not cared for. Jesus considered valuable what others would say had no value whatsoever. This is who Jesus is. And you need to drink this in because you need to know that you're the beloved. You need to know that he loves you this much. That he would stop and observe and people watch because he's interested in you. It transforms your heart. So one, loving and giving refused. Number two, giving shows that we understand how love works, right? Do you give anyone birthday gifts on their birthday? 
Uh, do you give one, anyone gifts on Christmas? Do you give anyone gifts for a special celebration? Those of you who are graduating, if you sent me a graduation uh, announcement, you're going to get a gift. Why do we do that? We do it because if we love, then we, we, we give gifts to them. Like, we, we care about them. When we give, it shows that we love. So what do you have to give to this church and to this community? Well, you can give love. Have you experienced God's love so much that you're wondering who God is going to put before you tomorrow to show his love to? Kids, your parents qualify. Parents, your kids qualify. Your neighbors qualify. Like anybody God's put in your circle of life, God wants you to say, okay, I love you so much, and I want you to bring life into the world by loving others. What can you give? You can love. You can give service. Jesus says if you really want to experience greatness in his kingdom, hack into serving one another. Like what? I don't know. Like you think about it. Like how can you serve others in your life as God has served you? What about compassion? God has compassion for us. One of the things we can give is compassion for one another. We can give interest to one another. We can show interest in one another. Yes, we can give of our resources. God does call us to give from what we have to the church. That's true. In the Older Testament, it's 10%. The Newer Testament, it's not as clear at all. For some, it's way more. For some, you're doing a good job just to give $5 a month or $1 a month. And you know what? Jesus valued the two mites from this widow. He values your $1 a month. And you know what he's in the business of doing? Far more than you expect. He takes a basket of, of bread and some fish that feeds 10 people and feeds 5,000 people. There is a spiritual sort of algebra that God does when we give what we can. If you can give $1 a month, God's going to do something amazing with that. He multiplies those things. We give our comfort up for the sake of others. We can do that. We give of ourselves because Jesus has given himself to us. Now, this is a really important concept. If you want to understand like the paradigm for understanding how to grow spiritually or the paradigm for uh, how to enter into what Jesus is saying here, this is how it works. We have to first experience God's love in a profound way before we can express it. You have to experience God's love in a profound way for you personally before you can express it. So you know what that means? That means you need to be honest with yourself. Where have you failed? Where have you dropped the ball? Where have you sinned? Where have you overlooked something? Whether you meant to or not, that's irrelevant. It is what it is. Are you someone, in other words, who is in need of God's grace? Are you in need of God's forgiveness? Here's the good news. He has more grace and more forgiveness for you than you could ever, you could ever ask for. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He notices those who are not noticed. He cares for those that everyone else would say has no real value in the community. Jesus shows us his love because in order for us to actually enter into following him in this mission, we have to experience it first. If you've experienced it, your life's going to be changed. You're going to reconsider the value of humility. You're going to reconsider the value of being generous to one another. You're going to reconsider how you spend the resources God has given you, like your time and your your, um, your free time and your work time and your resources and, and your gifts that you have, like particular talents you have. What if God wants to take your talents and use them to plant seeds of the gospel in someone else's heart and begin to change their life forever? He does, he, and that's how he works. 
You know, God's intention for us as a church is to be a people who experiences grace and then express it. What I want you to take away from this, well, where really what I want you to take away if you're if you're if you dialed out, come back in for a second, is this is that you are noticed by the God of heaven and earth. Jesus knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows your pains. He knows your difficulties. He knows what you're excited about. He knows what you're anticipating. He knows all of that. You are not an unknown. You are worthy to be loved. You're made in His image. You're not unnoticed. You're also not forgotten. God remembers. God God moves toward you. You may not see it. God is working in your life right now. Every single person in this room, I know for a fact God's working in your life. You know why? Because you're here, hearing, you're here in this moment hearing about Jesus Christ, which means God intends to begin to do a work in your heart more and more and more so you can experience His grace and then express it. You're noticed, you're not forgotten, and you are not insignificant. Jesus stops everything. The 12 dudes who are following Him, who have been hearing him preach for three years who should know him really, really well and have really caught a lot. He goes, you guys have a lot to learn from the way this this woman understands how much God the Father loves her. I want you to notice it. And here we are, 2,000 years later, thinking about her. Isn't that incredible? She is not unnoticed. She is not insignificant. She is not forgotten. Even today, right here, we are learning how to reflect on God's love for us, and then express it towards others. My prayer for us as we go back to our church in a couple months is that we are people who live into this and remember the poor widow who before Jesus, he celebrated her, the, uh, what she had, she gave out of her poverty, but he saw her as beautiful and lovable because she was his. She was the beloved. I pray that our church can be a place where you can experience that. That's the truth of the scriptures. You are beloved. God is interested in you. God is pursuing you. God has plans for you. God has power for you. He wants you to access that and experience it because he wants you to express it. Because in doing so, you really taste and see that he is good. Let me pray for us as we approach the table and celebrate God's invitation to us to put our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, we think about this story of this woman who was barely noticed in her own time in this, in this moment. The one who moved your heart, Lord Jesus, to stop and to value her gift and to say it was the greatest gift that had been given in all of the treasury. Would you make us a people who have experienced your Father's love as she did so that we might express that love towards others, that we might be a generous people to each other and to your work. Lord, you know each of the different things that we're processing right now as we think about the summer and the school year and uh, in the fall and jobs and stresses at home and issues that we're dealing with. Father, your grace is sufficient for us. Would you move our hearts to seek to experience your love so that we might taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.